mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Lynn Steggerstrong is the author of Flight, a novel. She was previously on this podcast for her novel Want. Lynn is also the author of Hold Still. 
Our nonfiction has appeared in the New York Times, Time, Harper's Bazaar, the Los Angeles Times, the Paris Review, The Cut, New York Magazine, and elsewhere. She teaches writing at Catapult and Columbia University. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms in Our Time to Read Books to discuss Flight, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, I'm always thrilled to talk to you. Oh, too. Your novel was so good. So good. The way you write is so beautiful. The characters you developed, like even the pacing of it, it's just so the sentiment, I don't know, meaningful and engaging and thought provoking. I don't know, all the good things that books have. <laughs> Thanks. It's very, very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell listeners what it's about? What it's about. Um, Sorry, I know. I don't, I hate, I don't know why I even ask everybody this. It's, I should just summarize it myself and be like, here's what I think your book's about. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny. I feel like I've, I've been sort of that about question is, is tricky. I mean, you know, it's, it's on the one hand, what it's three, you know, it's, it's a family. It's a family. It's the first Christmas since their matriarch died three siblings and their spouses and their children and there's also another family sort of on the outskirts of this family a mother and her daughter and I guess maybe it's worth saying that something that I'm interested in as a writer always is just kind of the elasticity of terms and language and our sense of things and I think the word that one of the words that was kind of top of mind was just the word family and how it means different things to different people. And because it means different things to different people, when those different people try to inhabit it together, it can be tricky. And so I think in lots of different ways, which each, with each of the characters, they're kind of grappling with their relationship to that word. And maybe another, a few other words that I was interested in elasticizing were, were grief and shame. I think I'm always kind of thinking a lot about shame and all of these characters, especially the women are kind of dealing with their own specific secret shame. And I think a lot of times shame is, is, is built in with fear, which again, I think it's something I was really interested in. And I think I was particularly interested in the way that the women's shame and fear kept them from being able to care for one another. Mm -hmm. And maybe over the course of the book, some of them got knocked down a little bit. So, yeah. I don't know if that's a good question. I feel like I feel like even some of the men though had shame. Oh right? yeah. I, especially um is it Malcolm the kid's name? I get all the Martin. 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 Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Martin, who by the way, I I don't know if you've read Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro, but she has a character in that book who I feel like would be really good friends with this guy Martin. I feel like they <laughs> you should like do a, a in like an essay where the two of them meet. I can't remember his name either. Straker or something, only a last name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But like he's so harsh on with his with his son, his special needs son and then he regrets it and then it causes all sorts of trouble and he he, he can't control himself. It, it's it, it's always really fun to read when like you just see someone at their worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great point because I was, I was at one point, there was a draft of this novel that had a header. I had all these headers when I was starting because there's, it's, it moves points of view. And that was sort of a new thing that I was doing. And it doesn't move. It doesn't hit, it doesn't get inside of the men as much, but then in sort of the middle-ish of the book, I had this section called the men mm-hmm. you know? and it was just like, okay, let's try this. And, you know, I think I'm kind of the, of the opinion that all of us are much more alike than we are different. And actually it's often our likenesses that's 
the hardest thing for us to do, right? It's like the reason that often I think maybe our mothers drive us crazy is because we see that thing that lives in us too. And it also lives in them. And it's so horrifying, you know, when you have to see it embodied in someone else. And yeah, so yeah, I think, I think I was really interested in trying to similarly spend time with the men and think, I mean, I think another example is, is character Josh, who in some ways is, is difficult. He gets on a lot of people's nerves, but I think also is sort of self-aware enough and uncomfortable enough with his own version of shame. I think he has a bit of, mm-hmm. of shame around the idea that like he's never really had to work to support himself. He's worked, but he's never really fully understood the concrete fact of money. And I think that sort of gets on other people's nerves. But but I was interested also in giving him the space to say, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, like I know. And and that and that has some shame inside of it too. And what happened at the school too. And the regret yeah. about that with the young girl and you know yeah. venting and whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was just here to disprove your your point of your whole yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> you had so many great lines and I just wanted to read this one about marriage. Well, actually, I'm sorry. This is a, a passage about uh, mothers. The, your book centers on the, the recent loss of a mother figure who sometimes has contentious relationships. So you, ha- you have, a, I'll start up here. Alice grabs hold of her phone to check again for texts from Maddie, but instead there's an email from her mom confirming flights, a final plea to have the privilege of seeing Henry too. I love her mom. Oh my gosh. She reminds <laughs> me of somebody I know. She has what she figures is a much more normal relationship with her with her, her mother. She calls her once a month. They text. They send cards on birthdays, ask the same boring questions about their jobs. Mostly they resent each other from a comfortable enough distance that they might call it love. I loved that. <laughs> Thanks. Thing. <laughs> That's I, I feel like you have this relationship as a foil, right? They were all so close to their mom in this one family. And this mom, Helen, seems just like the greatest, so warm and loving. And then you have the passive aggressive other mom sort of as a contrast. Um, tell me about that and how you like assembled all the different in-laws. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, something I'm kind of always interested in, especially in this book, is sort of gradations of our hauntings right mm-hmm. so if it was so we have helen i mean on the one hand i've i've never before written a book in which i had such a lovely mother mm-hmm. you know so that was very fun but but we have helen but i think in in a lot of ways helen being a wonderful model for motherhood and for family is haunting these characters in a way that feels just as heavy and complicated as if one had a difficult or lacked a mother right like the So I think a thing that I was interested in is that like the places that we come from, the people that we come from haunt us regardless. Mm -hmm. And so how and why does that feel different, taste different, look different, but still feel just as heavy depending on the person, right? So I think with each, with each character was sort of like, okay, so we, we have Helen as a starting point, and also within Helen, each child is sort of constellated in terms of the ways that her parenthood has haunts them differently, right? It haunts the oldest son very differently than it haunts the baby daughter very differently than it haunts the artist middle child, I say, as the artist middle child. Um, <laughs> and we have 
the siblings, right, or the sibling spouses, all of whom have different parents, you know, of maybe varying levels, and perhaps one would say lesser levels of of loving or doting or caring, right? And so I think it was important. I think one other thing I was thinking a lot about, and I honestly, this sort of also came about during the period of COVID, is how very different I think that loss is from lack, mm-hmm. right? So, so Tess, for instance, sort of doesn't have much in the way of a relationship with her parents. And she feels like she's really been able to make her peace with that in some ways. And so she thought that she would be prepared for this loss. But the thing that she's grappling with is that actually losing someone you love is very different than never having somebody. And I think what was useful to me and interesting to me about thinking about that is that grief is horrible and difficult, but it is also another gift that the person that you love gave gives you because you still get to carry them with you. All the things that they gave to you, you still hold inside of your body. And it still feels like that sort of secret special thing that they gave you. And so I think like letting myself think about these things in gradations also let me see the sort of surprising or less sad aspects of each of them. Right. Interesting. Was it the mother relation? What is the, was it these types of relationships that made you even want to do this book? Like, where did this book come from? What place in you? I mean, I think it actually started. I, I, I'm always interested with books and sort of <laughs> throwing the ball a little further in the book than I've than I've been in life. And I think I the thing that I knew from the beginning of this book was the ending, and I knew that I wanted. The characters, and I can't even say this aloud, which which speaks to how it was a challenge. I was interested in creating a sort of shared moment of grace, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure if that was something I even could believe in. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, but I, but I, it felt important to try, and so the book, and and it also felt important. Like the other place that I think this book started was just the space of the intractability of petty grievances, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. among family members, right? So if if I started with the end and the end being a shared moment of grace, I think I also started at the beginning and at the beginning is, I wanted to be this feeling of sort of everybody just sort of itching for a fight, mm-hmm. you know? So if you start with everybody itching for a fight, how do you get them through? How do you sort of, you know, crack them open and break everything apart and then reorder them in some way by the end so that they can, they can share something that feels real. Wow. I feel like when you talked about Kate really wanting to live in her mom's house, there Mm -hmm. was, that was one of the most sort of, because yes, she wants to do it for financial reasons, Mm -hmm. but you could feel like the attachment and her like desperation to cling on to just a little bit of her mom and that little bit of her as a daughter mm-hmm. and have it just go up in smoke, at least in the first conversation. I don't know. Yeah. It's so sad for yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, it's so, it's so, I mean, I think I was this, this idea of like fairness or what we deserve, I find endlessly narratively fascinating because both of those words feel totally made up to me. <laughs> right. Like, who deserves any, you know, like if you start to use the word deserve and then you look around the world real quickly, that word becomes a real problem, right? Like 
I take a lot of issue with that word in general. And yet I also understand why people latch onto it, you know? And so I think, again, like so much of what's exciting to me about writing books comes from inhabiting these words that are so much more complicated and high stakes and sort of, you know, dangerous, I think, sometimes than we acknowledge, you know? So she, she, Kate wants to believe that she can convince her brothers that she deserves this, but like, who deserves a free house? But also, why not? You know, like, it's just, yeah. so then it's, it's narratively interesting. Totally. Yeah. I love that. There was another passage too. I hope I can find it. Yeah. This is other, another one that was great. So I'm, I was fascinated by Alice, who is the daughter-in-law, Helen's daughter-in-law. Sorry, I keep trying to explain this and I'm so bad with names and everything. Um, but she ended up not having any kids with Henry. And I just, there was just something so great about this. And even the fact that she could take a long hot shower in this very crowded house, I was like yeah. jealous of her. But anyway, let's see. I'll start here. Helen was the only, is that okay? Can I read a little yeah. bit? Yeah, of course. What Alice wanted was someone to prove it to her, prove something irrevocable about her. Say it in such a way that she could feel sure they would not take it back. Helen, the mom, was the only one she might have trusted. Henry seemed to want her too unthinkingly to see how wanting wasn't loving. With every man who'd ever wanted her and called it love, she'd felt like this. This was true, too, in its way of how her mother loved her, preconditioned. The baby was something both Henry and her mother wanted that she couldn't give. Henry said he didn't. It was her choice, but she knew better. She thought maybe her body couldn't hold a baby because it understood she'd never really learned to love another person. Maybe also this was why her art failed. She'd not been shown or taught enough about just loving without first appealing or performing. This was her body's way of keeping all her future children safe. And then when she stopped working... And then with her new job and all the ways it shocked her, scared her, made her feel inadequate and helpless too, she'd never picked up the phone and called Helen, not with the art or the babies, or with the babies, not this past year when her job got murky. It's a particular type of sad, she thinks, to miss the possibility that she might one day call this person who is gone now, that what she lost was a thing she never had the courage to go get. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Talk to me about, about that and like the sadness of that lack of relationship and her the, the feeling of, you know, feeling like she should have had kids and was it really a huge loss and did she want it and all that ambivalence that comes around that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, another thing that this book I think is about is just middle age, the weird murky space of middle age. Right. And it's like maybe prior to a certain age or a certain time in one's life, so much is built around the idea that there is still more, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's still more time. There's still more possibilities. There's still more opportunities. There's still, okay, so you make this change, but maybe you can take it back, you know? And I think this is sort of, Alice did not, because I think another thing that this book is really interested in is like, we talk in this way about choices as if life lived a lot in choices, but I think often life lives in the absence of making choices, Mm -hmm. right? And so these people in this book, there's there's a moment kind of later in the book where Martin says, like, why don't people change their lives more often? And he's sitting there kind of ruminating on it. And in the process of him ruminating on it, he realizes his wife had to go because his, the kids needed her, you know? And that was sort of, I sort of chuckled to myself as I wrote (laughs) because, you know, because I think it's really, it's so much of a certain age where it's like, yeah, but like, you don't have time. You don't, right. The kids are calling you. So like you could be wanting to, or your life is calling you or your passive aggressive mother is calling you instead of the mother you want to call, you know? So there's, I think just, I mean, I both kind of am annoyed by the concept of busyness and also really get it, right? That like, I think a lot of life happens while you're sort of busily not making choices, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think part of what Alice is realizing maybe is that like, there was a part of her that was looking forward to the choice. And now that choice is gone, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, I think that that's a lot of what, sort of middle age is, is realizing that choices end, you know, because so much of what you're taught about your 20s and your 30s is that it's the excitement of making these big high stakes choices. It's the fear of making these big high stakes choices. But I think maybe the fear as you get a little bit older is that like the choices start to close off to you. So I don't know. I like totally changed my life at 40. So yeah, no, I mean, and, and, but it's and true. I, also, I mean, it's harder. Yeah. I, I also think like people, they, not everything closes off, but I do think some things, I think, especially like with the older, with sort of the generations above you, you know, like I, th- I do, I will say like one of the impetus for writing this book too, is that like, I did lose some people I loved over the past couple of years. And it was both totally expected. They, they were quite old. I mean, one very, very good friend of mine whom I lost was 92. So like, I should have seen it coming, Doesn't matter. but of course I didn't. And of course, actually, because she'd been along so long, so long, like I just, we all just kind of assumed she would outlive us all, you know, because she just seemed, and I, and I do think that that idea of like, well, you know, I'll not to be too whatever, but like, I'll call her tomorrow or like, we'll go see that art together that we planned to see like that, that sort of thing does, you know, like people, bodies change, bodies deteriorate. Like that's a true thing, you know? So I think I was interested in thinking about that. 
I'm sorry for your recent losses. No, no, it's it's okay. It's part of being alive. I know, but it still hurts. I, yeah. my, grandma, my grandmother died a year ago, just a year, maybe two years. Oh my gosh, I, I can't even, my brain. But anyway, not that long ago. Yeah. And she was 97. And yeah. I miss her to the point of like tears. Yeah. Probably at least once a week, once a month. Like I, I think about her all the time and it's like, it doesn't make it better that obviously you're supposed to die. It's sad that we all have to die to begin with. You know, I mean, right. not, I mean, yes and no. I mean, cause now we appreciate yeah. life, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I don't think you, you mourn less cause someone's older. No. Well, long. and in some ways it's like, I feel like you just get your, you, you've had the gift of them for so long. You know what I mean? Like you get, it's, and again, it's like, if you've, if you've, if you've come up, and they've just been so solid. I think in some ways that that loss is just even that much more intense. Yeah. But yeah. It's true. Uh-oh. Yeah. What are you are you writing a new book now? I am. I am. I'm <laughs> it's a I'm I'm from Florida and I have always written about Florida. And actually I think like one of the things that flight is about in part is is sort of grief around place and not just mm-hmm. grief around people and we lived in Florida for a good amount of time during covid and so i'm i'm writing a book i've never written a book wholly in florida in part because florida is so complicated um i think i never really felt up to it and i <laughs> i feel like i feel up to it and that feels really exciting and maybe just the one other thing that i've been thinking a lot about is i have this sort of idea about like all books have explosions and it's the writer's job to sort of teach the reader the terms of the explosion so they feel its impact. But my kind of directive to myself with this book is that there be an explosion at every at every beat. Like there, I mean, at one point I was like an explosion on every page. There probably won't be an explosion on every page, but there'll be an explosion probably every chapter because it's Florida. So there kind of has to be. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I lo- I love the way you wrote about Florida in this book though. I mean, it was very complimentary, you know, it's like, and the fact that you can lose a person from some place and then never go back there. I was actually yeah. thinking as, as I read this, I was like, well, my, not to keep talking about my grandmother, but like she lived in Florida, but she also lived in Dayton, Ohio. And I'm like, I wonder if I will ever go back to Dayton, Ohio. And even though I've gone there like a million times my entire life, why would I go back now? I don't know. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. No. No, it's such a weird, and I do, I mean, I will say like Florida's really complicated, but like, especially we were back, we, we, we stayed with my husband's parents for, my husband's from the same small town in Florida that I'm from. And we stayed with his parents during COVID. And, you know, I think for, for reasons that are perhaps obvious to your listeners, like, I don't think I could raise my children there, but I, it is a beautiful place. And it is a place that is like so in my bones. And Mm -hmm. the idea that like we got to take our kids to the spoil islands that we used to go to when we were kids and take our kids in like to the very specific bathtub water that is the Florida ocean at very different (laughs) in the year and, and take them surfing. And just like the idea that it's January and we're in the pool, you know, like that sort of thing is so much it's so much inside of my body. And the, the idea that it's not in my kid's body is like a little bit, it's totally fine, but it's a little bit sad. And it was so special to give that to them. And I also think it was so great to be reminded of that because I feel like 
it's so easy for a certain type of person to disparage Florida. And I understand why. But first of all, Florida is like 75 different places, right? Like it's depending on where you are in Florida, it's a very different place. But it's also really magical and special, you know? And and so I think like, again, I guess I, I finally feel up to trying to think about all of the different versions of this place and all my sort of complicated feelings about this place. Mm. Explosive Florida. I like it. Yep. <laughs> Which part of Florida do you live in? We're from Stewart. I don't know if you, it's, it's like half an hour north of West Palm Beach. Okay. So yeah. Southeast coast. Yeah. That's nice. It's so pretty. Yeah. When you wrote this book and you were talking about the beats of the next book, did you yeah. plan it out in the same way? Like, is that what you do to accomplish this? Yeah. I mean, I'm very, what's the right way to say it? Like I'm sort of, I'm very interested in beats and structure and sort of patterning. And just like, to me, that's a lot of the fun of writing a book. And so there was a lot of patterning to begin with in terms of the characters. And then there was a lot of sort of, you know, I think a a directive I'd given myself a version of with my last book. And then I did a version of with this book is this idea of like, perpetrator and victim. And if there were ever a space where I felt like a character was being too much perpetrator or too much victim, I had to flip it Mm -hmm. in some way because it was important to me that the reader, a word I think about a lot when I'm working is just like choreography. And like, I didn't want the reader to ever feel like they were too much on one character's side. So there was a lot of work and thinking just in terms of like, okay, we need another beat where Tess is a little more likable because she's been kind of difficult for a while that, you know, or like we need a reminder of her humanity in some way. But I also think like movement is important to me. So, you know, there's a moment, there's a moment at some point in the book where one of the characters thinks her kid is missing and that's sort of a portent of something that'll happen later. And I wanted that to come earlier just to kind of sort of set the scene. And it's also, you know, it's important. The the first line of the book is sort of, you left them alone in the apartment. It's this sort of accusatory question. And I think generally this idea of like, Anxiety lives inside of these people. Anxiety lives inside of this house. Anxiety lives inside of the world. But which of these anxieties is real and Mm -hmm. valid? And which of these anxieties is like misplaced or just sort of like a certain type of person or pathological, right? Like that idea of sort of, you know, like where's the live anxiety (laughs) was, was sort of key to the book. And I think I was constantly kind of using that as a, as a thing that the right the reader can track, not least because you're not tracking a single character in the way you would in another book, you know? So you're tracking this kind of jittery feeling and this sort of uncertainty of like, what if this jitteriness is just like being with these people and what if this jitteriness is like reasonable because something scary might be happening? I love you thinking of it in terms of choreography. Like that just, that's such a great image. Almost like, yeah, it's so much more visual. Yeah. Yeah. When like I think a, that's, like the lines of an ice skating rink or something, you know, like, you, I don't know. Just, yeah. Yeah. No. And that's the fun. That's why, that's why fiction is so fun. Right. Like, because like, that's, that's my go-to, that is my <laughs> never ending note on student fiction is where are we in time and space? Mm-hmm. Right. 
because you can, if you can get the reader inside of the time and space, there is nothing more useful to you to sort of get them invested. Right. And so then to move all the bodies through time and space, you know, it's like, when is the sister sitting too close to her brother? When, you know, whatever anyways, but yeah, I think it's just kind of an endlessly useful word. I love that. And obviously this book is fiction because you have a middle-aged couple having sex in the middle of a crowded house for like <laughs> two minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like having it be totally normal. I'm like, really? yeah, Did that happened. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think they locked the door. Yeah, but, right? Kids yeah. around, everybody's yeah. just like milling about. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, great. More power yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Lynn. I can't wait for your explosions in Florida to come. And I really enjoyed the book. So thanks for chatting about it. Thanks so much for chatting with me. And thanks for all the many, many things that you do for books. It's always, awesome. it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 